0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is episode 58. I'm your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, the great Mike Luciano. Mike, my friend, how are you today?
1: Whoa, the great.
0: I don't know if the I've great. ever gotten
1: that intro before, but I'll take it. Well, uh, Well, Ben, I'm being slowly driven mad.
0: Mad? Why? Mad by 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 uh, Donald Trump? Who are you being driven mad by?
1: No, by Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and their statements on the filibuster. They they just drive me absolutely crazy. And we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. But a related matter, <laughs> a crucially related matter to that, infrastructure. Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan, and this has been kind of uh, basically a running gag. Here at the Banter Podcast, because I always, you know, what, for like the last five or six weeks, I've been saying that, yeah, we should talk about infrastructure if we have time at the end. And we've kind of like talked about related matters like the filibuster, but we, I don't think we've actually addressed Joe Biden's infrastructure plan and the negotiations with Republicans. So we're going to address that at the top so we don't run out of time. So, Joe Biden unveiled his American jobs plan in April, I believe, and it's a, a big infrastructure package. $2.3 trillion in spending. The White House has been negotiating primarily with Republican Senator Shelley Capito of West Virginia to get Republican votes for this. And there's been some back and forth between Capito and the White House that's resulted in the White House lowering the sticker price to $1.7 trillion. Capito's latest offer is just under a trillion, but only about $250 billion to $300 billion of that is new spending. Most of Capito's plan would just be redirecting money that's already been allocated for other things. And thankfully, Biden has rejected this plan. And the White House wants to move on this, uh, they say, but you've got Joe Manchin who came out last week and said he wants negotiations to continue. I don't know how long he wants them to go on, but like not enough, not a lot's getting accomplished. And it's not even clear that Capito can bring over 10 Republican votes with her plan, right? So even if Biden said, "You know what, Shelley? yes, we will go with your plan just as it is, hook line and sinker." It is unclear if 10 Senate Republicans would vote for the Capitol plan, which is what you would need. To pass this through regular order, you need 60 votes to break a filibuster, and the Dems have 50 votes. But the reality is, if this is going to pass, it's going to go through budget reconciliation. They're not going to get 10 Republicans to vote for whatever it is the Democrats finally put forward.
0: I, I, can, ease, I can basically – if anybody's sort of uh, wondering whether um, they're going to get 10 Republicans to vote, uh, along with uh, Democrats for an infrastructure bill, um I think we can um, we, we can <laughs> we can let you know right now that that's not going to happen We, we can guarantee it I can guarantee you that in writing, I can put money down on it. I can take a bet, I can take bets, uh, I can engrave it in stone. I can tell you that right now that they will not get ten Republicans to sign on to any infrastructure bill that the Democrats go for not one, then they might get, they may, maybe they'll get five, maximum five, 10, no chance. No chance at all. No chance. 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 It's not not happening. It's not happening.
1: No, no, no. Mitch McConnell has said 100% of their focus is on stopping the Biden agenda. And this is, this would be a significant W for the Biden administration. It is a popular plan. And the republicans are going to do everything they can to prevent it from going through. So as you know, in order to eliminate or reform the filibuster in any way, democrats would need all of their people on board. If any one of them has an issue with changing the filibuster in some way, that is a problem. Two of the biggest filibuster boosters in the Senate are democrats Kirsten Cinema in Joe Manchin. And they are not alone among Democrats, but they are the loudest. And they're driving me absolutely insane with their ridiculous rationalizations. And I have two clips we're going to play. And this is Kirsten Cinema on Wednesday, speaking at a border facility with Texas Republican Senator John Cornyn.
2: Well, as folks in Arizona know, I've long been a supporter of the filibuster because it is a tool that protects the democracy of our nation. Rather than allowing our country to ricochet wildly every two to four years back and forth between policies, the idea of the filibuster was created by those who came before us, the United States Senate, to create comedy and to encourage senators to find bipartisanship and work together. And while there are some who don't believe that bipartisanship is possible, I think that I'm a daily example that bipartisanship is possible, not just this trip today and tomorrow that John and I are doing, but the work that John and I and I and many other of my colleagues in both parties do on a regular basis. So to those who say we must make a choice between the filibuster and X, I say this is a false choice. The reality is, is that when you have a system that's not working effectively, and I would think that most would agree that the Senate's not a particularly well-oiled machine, right, the way to fix that is to change your behavior, not to eliminate the rules or change the rules, but to change your behavior. So I'm going to continue to go to work every day, aggressively seeking bipartisanship um, in a you know, cheerful and happy warrior way, as I always do, and showing that when we work together, we can get things done.
1: Ben, do I have your permission to go off a bit here? You do. You do, sir. Uh, thank you, my friend. First of all, the filibuster wasn't created as a tool for minority rights. It wasn't created to foster comity and bipartisanship, as she said. The filibuster was created arguably by accident when the Senate revised its rules in 1806. It got rid of something called the previous question rule. And what that did was basically make possible endless debate. But no one actually exploited this provision for decades. It wasn't until 1837 when this, what had up to that point been a hypothetical situation, it took 31 years to, for somebody to actually act on it. So this claim that the filibuster was created in a careful and deliberate manner to enhance bipartisanship in the august United States Senate just doesn't check out. And The filibuster has changed through the years. The Senate has made several revisions to it. They created cloture motions to end endless debate during the Wilson administration. It used to be you needed 67 votes to break a filibuster, but they lowered it to 60 in 1975. You've got budget reconciliation, which allows the the Senate to pass some bills with a simple majority. So this idea that the filibuster mustn't be tinkered with or altered in any way, because it'd be an affront to the founders is ridiculous. Secondly, Her comment on uh, the rules shouldn't be changed, but instead people's behavior. What the fuck is she talking about? What the fuck is she talking about? Mitch McConnell, as I said, he said a few weeks ago, 100% of his focus is on stopping the Biden agenda. Sort of like what he said a decade ago about his number one goal was making Obama a one-term president. And the rest of his caucus follows suit. Republicans have been like this for as long as I can remember. And now the party's been Trumpified. So it's even harder for any bipartisan consensus to be reached. There's no appetite on the Republican side to work with Democrats. None. Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill are not walking through that door. And they're not going to walk through that door because they're dead, just like any chance of Republicans changing their behavior. Get out of here with that shit.
0: Um, Yes, I agree. Uh, Sentiment um, at all. I think um, we're kind of entering this. It's bizarre, right, that they could still be maintaining this position on the filibuster, despite for christ's sake they just voted down an investigation or a commission into a goddamn coup an attempted coup on the on the u.s government right if they're going to filibuster that surely surely this is a message right that surely this is a, a sign that they could maybe do something at least you know Know temporarily abandon the filibuster so you can get some stuff done and then bring it back in like later on. Right, make adjustments to the filibuster. Do something rather than leave it. It's not some, you know, it, it isn't holy. It isn't a um, uh, as you as you just um, laid out in 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 detail. Right, why uh, it's a complete myth. That the founding fathers would have been aghast at you making any adjustments to the filibuster—just nonsense, you know. So, I I think that you know there are strategies through this. There's a very good piece in the Washington Post this week uh, by um, uh, Dana Milbank, who wrote an excellent column on how basically how you um, you have to make uh, Cinema and Mansion own all of this, right? right. So. Um, You have to so this is what Dana basically. Dana Milbank argues that after you know when they when they put HR one through right when they put the voting acts right so which is going to get voted down the the Republicans will filibuster it. Milbaugh argues that the Senate should bring up its popular and unobjectional provisions one at a time. And if by some miracle Manchin succeeds in getting Republicans to support their passage, all the better. In the likely event he fails, it will be obvious to America and hopefully to him that the Republicans have no interest in cooper- cooperation. So they, he may well suggest that they begin by, Democrats begin by forcing Republicans to vote on the provisions to restore the enforcement of the 1965 Voting Rights Act and then go through... Basically, one by one, vote on all the other provisions in this bill, right? The bill to tighten lobbyist disclosure requirements, bills to state uh, require states to alert each other when voters apply for driver's license in a new state to avoid duplicate voter registrations, bills to end political dark money, that Chuck Schumer should make them vote on on every single one of them. That's the plan. Schumer has set up a series of
1: votes this month i believe in which they you know basically schumer is scheduling a bunch of votes in june on stuff democrats want that can't pass through regular order that are going to get shot down and schumer wants this to happen so he can he can point to the republicans and you know
0: paint them as obstructionists because they are is this going to move joe manchin this is the thing i mean like this has to be i'm hoping that they, the democrats are successful in creating some you know really really effective theater here uh Speaking- because it's just oh, sorry. it's getting so- it's getting it's just getting ridiculous now it's just getting absolutely ridiculous right that they can allow this to happen that nothing you know i mean and also you're talking about passing things through budget reconciliation you need 50 votes to do that too right so what you know is I mentioned the cinema going to get on board with with um with infrastructure spending, if if they can't get these magical ten Republicans that are going to appear and vote vote alongside the Democrats, I mean that that's another issue, right? You know, you need to get you need to get these votes. Um, you you need votes to uh, to go through reconciliation as well. So you know, I, I don't know. It's it's not looking great at the moment. I'm glad you mentioned Joe Manchin because the day
1: after cinema made her ridiculous and ill-informed comments about the filibuster joe manchin was asked about this very topic
3: that mitch mcconnell wants to work with him. last week he blocked a commission bill and he could have and you you saying that he will wants to work with He's dead, either i'm not saying that one's dead either you know i was very disappointed i think it was wrong what he did and I've said that. He knows how I feel about that. And they looked at it truly as a political. I did not look at political from that standpoint. I looked at it as our country coming back together. It was totally everything they asked for. It was totally bipartisan. I think Nancy Pelosi was very gracious in what she had offered, basically making it totally bipartisan. Chuck Schumer said, okay, I'll do the same. Uh, they were able to come to a disagreement. They were able to have the same staffing levels. Everything was done in the most bipartisan way. And for him, they blocked it because of the filibuster. Well, for one person blocked it on that. But the bottom line is we have seven people, six that voted, seven would. We need three more. Let's give it another shot. So you can say you'll never produce a 60 vote from my shoulder. We're going to make the place work. We're going to make the You're place. not taking that off the table, then. We're making it work. We're going to make the place work. We're not taking. We're reducing the 60 vote threshold off the table. We're going to make the place work, as I don't know what else I can tell you. And you can't make it worse work unless the minority has input. You can't disregard a person that's not in the majority.
1: I mean, I, I guess the the good news you could take away from this is Manchin doesn't rule out reforming the filibuster, right? <laughs> but this talk... By the way, when he was talking about you know how we need three more, what he's talking about there is he's, he's talking about the final vote tally in the capital commission vote, which got 54 votes, six shy of 60. And he was saying, yeah, you know, he was alluding to the fact that two Democrats did not vote in the, did not vote on that procedural motion, one of which was Cinema. He's saying that, you know, if you, if you add those two to the total, along with Pat Toomey, a Republican who did not vote, but who said he would have voted for it if he was there. Joe Manchin is saying, all we need is three more. And he's saying, let's give it another shot. And why he thinks it would pass this time around is completely baffling to me. Later in the clip, Manchin does say that he's concerned that ending the filibuster could come back to bite the Democrats next time Republicans control the government. To me, that is the most valid, maybe only legitimate reason you would not reform the filibuster drastically. I mean, you could get rid of the requirement for, you know, a particular vote, I believe, like and so you would keep the filibuster in place long term but you could end it for one vote does that open up a can of worms perhaps but there are, the senate has broad latitude when it comes to making its own rules but this let's give it another shot he's previously said oh i believe there's 10 good people on the other side if if there're 10 good people where are they and reporters keep asking mansion about reforming the filibuster, you know, whether he'd sign off on it. What I want to know also is does Manchin value window dressing to the extent that he'd be willing to see Biden's plan, his infrastructure plan get watered down? In order just to get like a few Republican votes that are less than 10, just so he can say, see, it's bipartisan. That's a question that I've been pondering. Is Manchin willing to dilute the Biden agenda just so like three Republicans cross the aisle in a budget reconciliation vote where Democrats didn't even need those votes? That's a question I have. And one last thing that worries me, the White House has lowered the sticker price and in the end, again... Our operating thesis is that this will pass through. This has to pass through reconciliation because they're not going to get 10 votes, in which case my question is, what does that bill look like if they only need Democratic votes? Does the price go back to the original two point three trillion or do they keep the lower figure that's only lower because it was part of negotiations that in the end we both are pretty sure are going to fail? Because that would be crazy. You know, there's some real Obamacare vibes here. Like the Democrats in that case wasted months trying to get Republicans on board, and they watered down the ACA, and ultimately they passed through budget reconciliation with zero Republican votes. So I'm having some serious deja
0: vu right now. Yeah, and this is always my problem with the Democrats, right, is they tend to negotiate with themselves. Uh, But, right, they'll negotiate – they negotiate harder on themselves than they do with Republicans, a lot of the time. Um, So they they end up with these watered-down bills uh, that could have been far, far, far more, you know, wide-reaching. I mean, the ACA was a a perfect example of this, an absolutely perfect example of this. And I think that, you know, from what I understand, the Biden administration, they're all extremely aware of this. And they're all very, very, very aware that they can't do this again, right? That That they're basically pissing away political capital but the longer these negotiations go on the, the less political capital they have and the less people care about it right people will just stop paying attention to it you need to get these things passed you have to just pass it they don't people don't care how these things are passed they don't care whether it goes through budget reconciliation or you get a majority in this you get 60 votes in this they don't care right but they do care when it gets done right you pass people real things you give them healthcare you give them um you know tax credits you give them uh child care it, it, this makes a big difference right you have to deliver um and they don't care how you deliver you just have to deliver it so i think that you know there needs to be a very very the timeline needs to be set in stone where the where biden just says okay that's enough we're not going to do this anymore and we're going to go back to our original number Because what's the point? Just go for what you want. This is, I mean, when you're talking about negotiating with Republicans at the moment, I don't really see the point. Like, all of this stuff is before, in my opinion, all of this negotiating with Republicans in public about, this is all theatre, right? I'm sure that the Biden people absolutely know 100% that they're not going to get enough votes from the Republicans. 10 Republicans are not going to come on board, right? I don't think anybody in the Biden administration believes this perhaps joe manchin does i don't know i don't know whether he actually believes that republicans are going to come on board with this stuff um but i'm sure that the biden people know they don't so i'm hoping that they have they're going to stick to you know a very disciplined time frame they're going to say okay negotiations are over we're going through budget reconciliation and um there you go that's that you know end of end of end of discussion we're not going to waste time we're not going to waste time um, on these discussions when you're not negotiating in good faith. And maybe some of these Republicans are negotiating in good faith, right? I think you know, like people like Mitt Romney. I, I think he, I think Romney does negotiate in good faith. Uh, but it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. There are not enough Mitt Romneys in the Republican Party, right? So you know, just yeah. Do do you have to do make so, make as much theatre out of it as possible, uh, and then just, just ram it through budget reconciliation, you know, as they should do with as many as many of Biden's policy aims as possible, is to get it through budget reconciliation. And if the Senate parliamentarian doesn't agree with it, fire the Senate parliament, parliamentarian or overrule them. Who cares? Who who cares? Indeed, like
1: <laughs> the vast majority of Americans do not know. That the aca was passed through budget reconciliation the vast majority of americans do not know what budget reconciliation is the vast majority of americans do not care that the aca was passed through budget reconciliation and they won't care if the american jobs plan is passed through budget reconciliation yes people say you know in polls they say they value bipartisanship but that to me is more like a this is how i wish things would work but at the end of the day, people care about results. They don't care that Shelley Moore Capito voted for the American Jobs Plan, okay? Let's say. They don't care if she's gonna be like one of two or three Republicans to vote for it. They're not gonna say, oh man, I'm so glad this infrastructure bill was bipartisan. No, what they're gonna say is, I'm so glad. The bridge down the street that I drive over every day to get to work and back is being repaired because it's, it's been in disrepair for as long as I can remember. That's what they're going to care about. They're not going to care about the breakdown of the vote tally on this thing. And I, yeah, what's going on, as you said, is theater. The White House knows, they have to know, that they're not going to get 10 Republicans. Manchin you know, I don't know. The more I listen to this guy I talk about ten good people, ten good people, I think he really believes it. Um, I think but, I think he might do too. I think he I think he might actually believe it. I mean, the and it's so bizarre. He's been in the Senate for over a decade. He has seen some stuff. He has seen McConnell pull his bullshit over and over. When he's again. voted
0: it down before, he's voted down. Um, he voted against uh, reforming the filibuster when it was abandoned under Harry Reid, and I think in two thousand thirteen. Um, Harry, they got rid of the filibuster in 2013 for judicial Uh, appointments because McConnell kept blocking them right and and, but you know one of the Democrats that but the Democrats had a larger majority Democrats had like a 55 seat majority I think in the Senate right back then Uh, so they didn't need to overrule the the, to get rid of the filibuster you only need 50 votes um, or 51 votes rather and um, they didn't need Manchin's vote, but Banshin didn't vote for it. So, 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 you know, there, there is a hit. Like, the guy's been doing this for a long time. You know, he's been doing this for a long time. I think he probably genuinely does believe in it. I think maybe now, under after after you know four years of Donald Trump, that the and and what happened on January 6th, I think now the case has to be built. It, the, ca- the case can be built in a slightly different way, uh, and particularly, you know, the Voting Rights Act bill as well, which you know, Mansion is all for. You know, the, you know, who knows? Is he going to budge on it? Like, there has to be some room. There has to be some room for, for, for maneuver here. I mean, they could, they could, they could put the Voting Rights Bill through reconciliation. You, you, I mean, you know, why not?
1: Well, you'd have to. I mean, there's no way the parliamentarian would go for it. But then, as you said. The, I think the vice president could overrule as the, the president of the Senate or fire the parliamentarian.
0: Yeah, just get rid – just – yeah, why not? I mean this, this is the thing, right? Like I don't understand why they're, they're, there's a lot of sort of like should we, shouldn't we? Like yeah, yeah, do it. Like the, Re-
1: the Republicans did it in 2001. They fired the parliamentarian after a series of rulings they didn't like.
0: Yeah. So exactly. You know. Just. And, and this is where we are now with politics in, in in this country. Right. It's all out warfare. Right. It's it's you're not. There is no bipartisanship. Right. There is no cooperation across party lines. It's it's a complete facade that this can be achieved. Right. That that what there is now is you have a dangerous fascist party that is committed to essentially dismantling democracy in the country. And then you have the Democrats, right? The Democrats, like, I have my issues with the Democrats. I have many, many issues with many Democrats. Uh, You know, I have my issues with Nancy Pelosi. I have my my issues with Chuck Schumer. Um, But they pale in comparison to what we're we're looking at on the right. What you're looking at on the right is, you know, essentially um, an autocratic party in waiting. Right. We've already they they showed their true colors when um, there was a real serious threat to the country in in, in the form of Donald Trump. And they did nothing. They sat back and allowed a lunatic to take over. They have done nothing about a lunatic trying to uh, launch a coup right on the United States. Um, They did. They did absolutely nothing about that. No investigation, no repercussions. They even refused to, to impeach him for inciting a riot this is not a political party you're dealing with here right and they're not interested in democracy they're not interested in the rule of law they're interested in power and and that's it and if the the democrats continue to bring they're they're not even you know i I would be happy if they brought a knife to a gunfight but they're not you know they're bringing brownies to a (laughs) gunfight right it's it's like you can't look at it this way. It ha- you have to do all-out warfare. You have to do absolutely everything in your power to, to ensure that these th- lunatics don't get anywhere near government. Anywhere near government whatsoever. Right? It means you... Like, like the HR1 bill, it has to get passed, right? By any means necessary. Any means necessary, right? That means ram it through reconciliation, right? Who, it, it doesn't matter, like, make a deep fake video of Joe Manchin uh, engaging in sexual acts with a pig, right? Uh, I'm citing a Black Mirror episode um, here and threaten him, right? I mean, I mean, these are the lengths that, you're, you, that, that, that the Democrats need to, be, need to go to, right, to, to get this stuff done. Because it's, you're, basically, you're looking at the end of democracy in, in the United States. And that's not hyperbole. Right, this, it's not hyperbole. This is not an idle sort of threat. Right, I'm not. I'm not just making this up. Right, You're, the, the the country is in very, very serious danger of of falling to an autocratic lunatic again. Too much. My, <laughs> my, my... <laughs>
1: um.
0: No, I might be there. I'm. I I'm, might be I'm there. there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm. All, I, I'm talking about blackmailing Cinema and Mansion. Wherever you know, some shady uh, insider has got on these guys. Use it on 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 and Cinema and um, and uh, uh, Joe Mansion. If you've got dirt, use it. Use leverage. Right. Be as ruthless as you can, and make sure you get the votes. I th- for me, that's the only way to get this done.
1: You know. The Democrats should hire you to be like their G. Gordon Liddy,
0: <laughs> you dirty Ben Cohen, Democratic dirty trickster. I, I'm, I'm watching it. There's a good. Um, there's a good series I'm watching on Netflix called um, uh, Ragnarok. It's a. It's a basically a, a modern take on Thor, on the Thor mythology, right? And there's a lot of it is about like the Norse mythology, right? Of of um, they go quite into deep into detail about the, you know the the wars between the gods and the, and the giants. It's a sort of moral quandary that Thor gets himself into, right? Where he has to, he understands that he has to kill giants to restore balance, right? He has to kill giants. The the giants are wreaking havoc on society and Thor understands that he has to kill the, he doesn't want to kill anyone, but he understands that he has to kill the giant. He has to kill these giants because, Otherwise, you have complete chaos, right? Um, And and this is the sort of like central moral conundrum, right? Do good good people do bad things? Do the ends justify the means? And I think you have to, this is what the Democrats have to contend with right now. They have to. They have to look at themselves very, very, very hard. They have to take a very hard look at themselves, and they have to make this decision. Right? How dirty do you want to get? And I say that they get as dirty as they possibly can to to to, to beat these guys because we're we're you know yeah it's in a very it's a really dangerous it's a really really dangerous situation right and and you know if the if they have to do something if they have to threaten Joe Manchin threaten him whatever you need to do to mention the cinema, do it.
1: The last thing I'll say about the filibuster is I I am not optimistic about chances for reform here, but at a minimum, at a minimum, I think it is entirely reasonable to put the burden on the opposition to block bills. If you're going to let Republicans block stuff, then make them actually show up and vote. So instead of needing 60 votes to pass a cloture motion to begin or end debate on a bill, put the onus on the people who want to block it, say, you know what? No, it, this doesn't work. cloture motions no longer require 60 votes. They require 41 votes to fail. Okay, so we wouldn't have had what happened last week with the commission vote, the one six commission vote. The final vote was fifty four to thirty five Republicans. Some Republicans couldn't even be bothered to show up to vote. And the idea that thirty five, it could have been fifty one to nothing. I believe it could have been fifty nine to nothing voting in favor. And it still wouldn't have mattered the measure still would have been shot down. That's crazy. So if we're going to do anything to reform the filibuster at a minimum, at a minimum, let's do that. And I think that is eminently reasonable. And I think even Joe Manchin said months ago that there should be some type of pain to block bills. And he was alluding to this, to this possible measure. So that's just the last thing I'll say about the filibuster. This episode... Um, well,
0: we've really worked ourselves off over this. Jeez.
1: Yeah. Well, it doesn't get any better because the next segment is what crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week?
0: Okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. You've got a good one. I've got a good one, uh, or a horrible one, depending on on the <laughs> depending on how you look at it. But uh, uh, my pick for this week is our friend, our our dear friend, uh, Mister White Nationalist in Chief, Tucker Carlson. So. Tucker Carlson, um, in response to um, Joe Biden honoring the the victims of the forgotten Tulsa race mass killing, um, which is where 300 black Americans were killed in racist violence um, that devastated a prosperous Tulsa community of Greenwood in 1921. That was 100 years ago. Uh, Joe Biden gave a great speech there, um, a very touching speech. And where he where he honoured the victims, um, described it as a, a massacre, not a riot, which is what it used to be um, uh, called. As it was, one, he called it among the worst in our history, um, but not the only one, and for too long forgotten by our history. Uh, Biden um, basically then went on to say that um, uh, white supremacy was one of the greatest threats to the country. He also said that we should know the good, the bad, everything. That's what great nations do. He said they come to terms with their dark sides. We're a great nation. okay? So um, he called it an act of hate and domestic terrorism um, as well. Of course, Tucker Carlson has a huge issue with this. Tucker Carlson has a very, very big issue with this. And Tucker Carlson said... This week, he said, if you really wanted to hurt this country and the people who live here, if you wanted to divide it even more deeply along racial lines into groups that really hate each other on the basis of how they look, you would give a speech, a disgusting speech, like the one that Joe Biden gave yesterday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. During the speech, Biden declared that the most lethal threat in the United States is not the cyber attacks, for example, shutting down our supplies of essentials like gasoline and meat. It's not terrorism. It's not gang warfare. No, it's people who don't agree with Joe Biden. He calls them white supremacists. Where do you even begin with this horseshit, right? First of all, people who don't... uh, uh, Joe Biden is not calling people who don't agree with him white supremacists. He's calling white supremacists white supremacists, right? Uh, And I will say that um, the, the cyber attacks, the shutting down of supplies to essentials like gasoline and meat... Um, while these things are bad, it is nowhere near the danger of white supremacy um, uh, and domestic terrorism. Um, It it doesn't even compare, right? And of course, that depends on who you are. If you're uh, an incredibly rich white man like Tucker Carlson, then obviously white supremacy isn't, and and also white supremacists love your show, then white supremacy isn't going to be a big threat to you. But if you're an African-American Let's say living um, you know outside of a liberal outside of liberal cities anywhere in the country even and even in liberal cities too right your life is in constant danger because of white supremacy like domestic terrorism um, like white domestic terrorism is the most is the biggest t- terrorist threat to this nation right the, the the statistics on this are are clear right you're far more likely to to, to to die from violence from a white supremacist than you are from an from a, a an al Qaeda terrorist, right? Um, Tucker Carlson says um, he says he quotes you by saying the most lethal threat to the home now, more dangerous than al Qaeda or, or ISIS, is white supremacy, and, and and that's true. ISIS is obviously a bigger threat in the Middle East to the United States, but in talking about what's happening in America. White supremacy is a far bigger threat to Americans than ISIS is. Right? it's ridiculous to say anything else. So, and also, you know, you look at the language that he uses, right? It, it's uh, he calls it disgusting, right? So this is this kind of alternate reality that Tucker Carlson um, uh, lives in, right? Where Joe Biden can give a give a speech, give a, a great speech like that, uh, honouring the victims of a, of, a, of racial genocide, basically, of a of a massacre, and Tucker Carlson calls it disgusting. Right, so this is you know this is what how you know Obama was like incredibly divisive, or Obama's Obama was uh, I think uh, Tucker Carlson's called Obama one of the fakest people on the planet, or something like that, right? Where, you know, it's this sort of like oh, complete alternate reality that Tucker Carlson lives in where he can get away with saying things like this, right? So, you know, you take reality, you turn it, you turn it on his head and then you present that as the truth to, to his fans. So, yeah, anyway, that's my pick for, 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 for this week is uh, Tucker White Supremacist Carlson, who is himself one of the biggest threats to America, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I, from what I saw of the speech, it just sounded like your standard commemorative speech You know, it was on the hundredth year anniversary of this race massacre. And, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson clearly had a problem with the fact that Biden was giving this speech. Well, too fucking bad. You know who else had a problem with this speech? I remember this as you were as you were playing that. Laura Ingram, also on Fox News, she reacted by saying, quote, the president of the United States is supposed to be our representative to the world Yet Joe Biden spends most of his time bad-mouthing us and, of course, highlighting only the darkest periods of our history as he did today in Tulsa, end quote. Yes, that's right. Joe Biden only highlights the darkest periods in American history, sure. So that got me thinking, what was Laura Ingram's position on Confederate statues? Because I was wondering if she had defended them and on what grounds, and sure enough, she defended leaving up Confederate statues. And she said, quote, this was from 2018. Quote, this happened, okay? The Confederacy happened. And we owe it to the future to leave history as it existed, undisturbed. Continue to debate it. Have conversations about it. Okay. So what the hell's the problem with Biden commemorating the Tulsa race massacre? If you want to leave confederate statues up under the pretext of continuing to want to talk about the confederacy and having conversations about the slavery that went along with it and the civil rights or lack thereof why not the tulsa race massacre could i have some consistency here anyway yeah good good (laughs) luck getting consistency from laura ingram but that wasn't my crazy fucking Thing, my what crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Uh, comes from Glenn Greenwald, who I don't believe he is a registered Republican, but he does enjoy uh, appearing on Tucker Carlson and uh, Laura Ingram's show just to talk about you know how terrible Democrats are and uh, you know big tech and and censorship and and that is really the the subject of uh, of this quote I have from Glenn Greenwald. So a bit of background. Naomi Wolf, who listeners may or may not know, is a – well, she's a crazy
0: person. A deranged Uh, lunatic, She's
1: a deranged lunatic. She's a conspiracy theorist. Um, Any conspiracy theory you can conjure up in your head about anything, especially the COVID-19 pandemic, she has espoused even crazier. Okay? You know, chemtrails, she has made claims – That, uh, you know, pregnant women can be harmed by being around people who have been vaccinated against COVID. You know, she accused Fauci of working for Israel or something like that. Just an all-around crazy person.
0: So, um, (laughs) this is, I think... um, uk uh, readers will what uk listeners will probably understand a bit no actually probably not okay so this is what this is what she tweeted out um this is from 2019 right i just came across this this is great right she said it was amazing to go to belfast which does not yet have 5g and feel the earth sky air human experience feel the way it did in the 1970s calm still peaceful restful natural okay skip the 5g thing right we're talking about belfast in the 1970s when it was under when it was under british military occupation and there was a full-scale war going on right (laughs) in belfast in the so which is no laughing matter right it was obviously absolutely terrible um but yeah uh apparently belfast in the 1970s was calm still peaceful restful and natural so anybody who grew up in britain or <laughs> around then who you see that you, you just it would be like talking about you know baghdad being peaceful and restful <laughs> in, two, in 2000 and, in 2003 right anyway so <laughs> sorry go ahead yeah go ahead. I,
1: I think I, I think uh lord mountbatten would have something to say about that if he were still alive <laughs> right. uh, Anyway, um, okay, so Naomi Wolf was recently suspended from Twitter, and I I don't know for how long. I I don't know what for. It could have been any number of things. I mean, like, take your pick, because she tweets out all this crazy stuff. Anyway, a guy named Jared Holt, who works for the Atlantic Council, which is a, a DC think tank, tweeted out a screenshot of Naomi Wolf's. Suspended Twitter account, right? It says, account suspended. And he wrote, wrote, shocked it lasted for so long, to be honest. All right, so that's really like a ho-hum tweet, like a dispassionate, like surprising wolf lasted on Twitter this long given all the crazy shit she says and given Twitter's rules for its users, right? That's basically all he said. And Glenn Greenwald quote tweeted him, And he said, quote, there's a virtual industry of operatives funded by the Atlantic Council, which in turn is funded by Gulf State despots and US Intel agencies and NATO governments whose purpose is to demand the internet be purged of anyone dissenting from their orthodoxies. A leading soldier, he calls Holt. And it's like, if you didn't know anything about this woman, going by Greenwald's tweet, you would think she was suspended from Twitter for having a different political opinion, right? From like this orthodoxy he's talking about, you know, you would think she was advocating for a flat tax or strong anti-abortion laws or the border wall or, or anything like that. It like, but what she's really been suspended for in all likelihood is a tweet or any number of tweets that have spread dangerous misinformation about the pandemic about vaccines about a whole host of other issues. So this idea Greenwald he is I don't know if we say he's good at fitting everything into his narratives cuz I I don't think this, you know, fits in this 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 doesn't this isn't like a great example for what he's trying to say which is big tech censorship is bad. Big tech is in bed with Democrats to silence dissidents and all that. stuff. No, this is just a crazy person, presumably violating Twitter rules by spreading crazy misinformation about matters of public health being held to account for doing that. So the lack of context here from Greenwald is not surprising. But if you didn't know who she was, you might be forgiven for think if you saw this tweet, you might be forgiven for thinking, oh, wow, oh, man, Twitter is really cracking down on people who don't toe the Democratic line or the big tech line. It's just incredibly dishonest.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, and the Atlantic Council um, uh, as well. What Greenwald is saying about that is, uh, it, it, again, um, just hyster- it's kind of like hysterical rantings of a deranged conspiracy theorist, right? I mean, I'm, you know, there are certainly credible criticisms of the Atlantic Council, um, but you know, they take money from lots of different places. Uh, they've been consistently ranked as one of the most transparent and, and um, well-run uh, non- non-profits like in, in the world. Uh, apparently, uh, most of their funding actually comes from the UK, um, and they support you know the London Councils a lot of work um, exposing disinformation. Um, they accept government donations under certain conditions, only under very strict conditions. You know, they uh, certainly don't do. Um, uh, their, their role isn't to uh, suppress free speech or anything like that. It's um, you know, this is like Greenwald's fantasy world, right? Where you know he lives. The, there's this kind of orchestrated conspiracy of elitist tech companies and and um, governments and I don't know. I don't the deep state or whatever it is who are working to suppress. Uh, the ideas of brave contrarians like Clint Greenwald who hasn't been banned from Twitter who has never been banned from any online platform ever who talks and spouts as much nonsense as he wants and still gets to do so every day so you know Glenn Greenwald is is, I mean you know I don't I can't remember the last time when Glenn Greenwald was actually useful or relevant but he isn't anymore he's just another kind of batshit crazy conspiracy theorist who dresses who dresses up his opinions um, you know with some some some, sort of veneer of respectability uh, because he still has allies like Matt Taibbi in the media who will go out to bat for him Uh, but yeah I mean what an irrelevant moron Yeah, I I think he
1: he had some valid criticisms of the whole Russiagate thing. And, you know, the media, in in some cases, was really running with narratives when they didn't have evidence for it. Like, oh, you know, the whole Trump has been a Russian asset since 1987. So he, he had some valid criticisms there. What I think happened was he hit upon a he He drew the attention of conservatives who obviously liked that content, as well as never Hillary progressives. right? So it, and and that is basically uh, his audience. And I think that he is uh, one, he's a contrarian. he He likes being a contrarian, but also, He's got a loyal audience now who is, is willing to pay him to produce that type of content. And, and that's what he does. Yeah, and that's what he does. And, and once you get in that, it's, it's very hard to get out, right? So because so if he were to come out and start criticizing like, you know, Republicans as much as he criticizes Democrats, he would see, I imagine, a good chunk of his audience leave him, and he, which means he would be getting less money. Than he is currently, so I uh, you know a lot of people say what happened to Glenn Greenwald over the years? I think those people are maybe overthinking it
0: yeah i I, I think so too it, it, you know he has he's got stuck in this ideological box, like you know you bring up the Russiagate stuff right I mean you know i I think it's entirely reasonable and rational rational to sort of have a kind of a balanced perspective on this right to 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 you know to not be so committed to one position or the other right you know trump was definitely a russian asset or trump was definitely not a russian asset you know i i think the truth a lot of the time in these cases is is difficult to discern right and it, it could be you know maybe probably possibly you know hard to say you know what i mean like there's a lot that, that you know and why not be open about that? Why not just be, you know, why not say, you know, it's, it's hard to say, right? This is what I don't understand about the Matt Taibbi Glenn Greenwald um, position on all these things. Is that They've taken such a militant position now that it absolutely can't be, you know, that it's all nonsense, that it was all kind of left-wing ranting and, and, and shouting and there was, no, there was nothing to it, that you have to take the complete opposite um, uh, sort of position. You know, and I think that, like, you know, I don't take either position really. I don't go along with with a lot. A lot of the, um, I think the left did. They they overplayed it. They certainly overplayed it, and they drew conclusions and made you know came up with theories that didn't you know that that didn't hold weight in my opinion, right? But there there still was a lot of evidence to the contrary. I mean, I have read so many pieces by uh, uh, Greenwald and Matt Taibbi. Um, you know, trashing the Washington Post, for example, for getting a story wrong and using that as evidence um, that they were in on this Russia conspiracy theory nonsense, right? Where is actually, if you looked at the the Washington Post article, I, I forget the actual article, but what had happened is they misreported um, or they got a, an aspect of the story wrong and then corrected it, and, and that was it, right? And and but but to Greenwald, this is evidence of some giant conspiracy theory right which is you know again and and the the quote that you used for example is is another um example of this right he takes a quote from someone to some random person uh and spins this sort of grand narrative about you know the atlantic council is is this sort of uh, nefarious um uh, uh, mouthpiece of uh of these you know dictatorships in the middle east which is just not true it's just nonsense so you know yeah and and i think you're right you know he he plays to this audience um and that's what the audience demands they they demand this they demand seeing it and that's what they're paying him for and that's what he's going to give them he's such a wanker yes Uh, wanker is a good word (laughs) okay yes well on that note uh i think uh, uh we'll leave it there today it's always it's always good to have a good glenn greenwald bashing session um and and tucker carlson oh, it's probably the two people we talk about the most uh <laughs> or the people we bash the most is glenn greenwald and tucker carlson
1: there's something oddly cathartic about it i, I, I don't really- know what
0: i, I yeah it's it, yeah there is uh but anyway um Thank you, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, uh, Please support the banter. Uh, Your support is very necessary for us to continue going. Um, You can get a two-month discount on a banter membership where you can get access to all of our premium articles. Uh, We greatly appreciate the support. You can do that in the the newsletter. Uh, Just sign up for the um, paid version, and, and we would love you for it. Please subscribe to us. Also subscribe to the podcast, which is completely free. You can do so on Spotify or on iTunes. Uh, the podcast is growing in reach and, uh, we, we love connecting with you all. So reach out, um, send us a message, uh, write, um, leave a comment and we'd love to get back to you. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week.